what's the title, you know? Well, I uh, last week didn't expect to see you today, and probably you didn't expect to see me. But here we are, or else we're in a time warp or something, but we move forward as best we can. <laughs> when I was asked to fill in and, and on a Sunday like this, you don't know what topic, and I've heard people tell me how God gives them some great insight and a flash of bolt of lightning from the blue that tells them what to do. I never get those. I just try to be prayerful and thoughtful and go with what might fit. And so that's what you're going to get today. Some of you may remember many years ago, about 15 years ago, I preached a sermon series in this church called Growing into Freedom. And it came out of the fact that people would sometimes come and talk about some issue or they wanted to discuss a problem they were facing or wanted to know how to deal with something in their life. And as usually is the case, when we have a problem, we feel we're the only one with it. People don't understand what I'm going through. But what, as I listened to them, I began to find that really it is much like what Paul says when he says these roadblocks that are common to all. And a lot of the same issues were lining up over and over. And so out of that came a series called Growing into Freedom in which I tried to deal with some of those issues. I think there were about eight or ten sermons. After I retired from here about four or five years ago, Ruth said, why don't you go work on that some more and put it into a book? And I think she did that to just basically get me out of the way, frankly. But I said, okay, I'll go do that. And I added some and built them, and I did eventually put it into this book called Growing Upward. Now, I'm not trying to sell books today. That's the only book I have here. They're on Amazon or Borders if you want it. I think there might even be a copy in the libraries. But out of it came just issues that I found people were dealing with in their lives. Now, if you're a non-Christian, don't you have those same problems? Yes, you do. Well, what's the advantage then of being a Christian? Because the leading of the Holy Spirit and the principles in God's word give us a lot of helps to go through life that are not available to those who do not use them. Paul says about the Israelites in the Old Testament and all their struggles, these were written down as warnings and admonitions and encouragement to us. There's no point in writing them down if we don't read them and learn about them. So this is made up of those, and if you are, I don't know, you ever have any of these issues like these, or greed, envy, lust, temptation, discouragement, guilt, loneliness, resentment, anger, worry, pride, any of those you ever run across in your life? Well, we all have, and there's 17, and I'm going to take one of those today as a topic, and that is the idea of procrastination. Any of you relate to that one? Progress will or will not be made in our Christian life while we are waiting for things to happen. And one of the reasons, of course, I took this topic is because of the situation here at Bethel. We are between 
pastors and leadership time. Those things happen in churches, and independent churches have a very hard time with it. As I used to say, you know, the advantage of an independent church is no one can tell you what to do. The disadvantage is no one can tell you what to do. And you're out there winging it, and uh, that's hard. And so we do our best to find some principles for God's word. Some of you have more of a problem with this than others, just like some of you may have a bigger problem with greed or anger or lust or envy or loneliness or discouragement. We all have them to various degrees, but some have a greater part. But procrastination is something that easily jumps up in times like this of uncertainty, things are not clear, I'll just put off dealing with things. And, and we need to do better than that. And sometimes it's a simple thing. You may be habitually late. You may tell people that well, I'm going to call you, but you don't get around to calling you, which, by the way, is another word for lying. And it's a sin. It is a sin to tell someone you're going to call them when you don't. Or it may be a bigger problem. Someday you're going to take a trip to New York or the Holy Land or someday you're going to start an exercise program, or someday you're going to lose weight. I've had a lot of people say, someday I'm going to write a book. Can, how do I get this in book published? And I've learned now to say there's only two steps. Number one, write the book. Then I'll tell you step number two after that. Okay, I've never had to tell anyone after that, but you can do that if that's your goal. doesn't need to be your goal. But do you find yourself, yeah, I'm going to do this. When are you going to do it? What's the date you're going to start? What happens if you don't do it? We need to look and not procrastinate. Jesus once called a man to follow him, and the man said, well, let me first go bury my dead. And by that he means settle things in my family, get them settled so I know the future for them well. You follow now. Then Jesus will help you with the others. Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So I want to have three things I'm going to warn you about with procrastinating, and we can relate to them all. The first one is simply this. Do not procrastinate in making your calling and election sure. Let's call committing your life to Christ or salvation or following Jesus or being born again, whatever title you want to give. It means committing yourself to the Lord Jesus. Now, my guess is that most or at least half in here have done that. I know that a good number in here, because of just the statistics of a group like this, are going along for the ride. But you haven't really made that commitment. Now, I'm not here on a regular basis. If I were every so many weeks, I would make sure you know that. But I don't want to let it not be said that you need to make that decision. It cannot be something you say, well, I'll go to church when I can. I put a couple of dollars in the offering. I'm pretty, I believe the Bible. I don't read it, but I believe it. That is not at all what it means to follow Jesus Christ. The greatest missionary in all time, of course, was St. Paul. And he spent years and years spreading the gospel. He spent almost two years in one town of Ephesus, just to establish this one little church and get it going. Preached to thousands. But he also spent almost two years speaking to two or three people about the faith and no one else. 
That's because he was in prison in Caesarea. And you take whatever congregation you get, and that was his. And we're going to read about him today in Acts, the 24th chapter, the 24th verse. He had told about uh, his conversion. He's before Felix, the three main characters, Felix, later Festus, the next governor that comes after Felix, who's the Roman governor, and then Agrippa, I guess four characters, Felix's wife, Drusilla. But these are under the control of Rome. Felix was a governor appointed by his brother, but he was a Greek, but the Romans hired him to do the job. Here's what it says, Acts 24, 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jew. He went to Paul and listened to him. And as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was, ab was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant the favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Now I have to look at my own notes to remember who was who because this is such a convoluted family. But as I said, Felix was Greek, appointed by his brother, by the Romans. His father later murdered James and John and tried to kill Peter. But remember when the angels released Peter from the chains that was from this imprisonment. Felix took his wife Drusilla from his brother and she became his third wife. His, her uncle was the Herod who took the head of John the Baptist. Her grandfather was the Herod who tried to kill all the babies when Jesus was born. Remember that Christmas story, trying to kill Jesus. This is the cast of characters Paul is brought before. They're his judge. But he begins to judge them. And if we live our lives right, it should we should not feel condemned by the world, but should condemn the world around us. He began to discourse with Felix on three topics. He says the first one that he talks about, um, they're listed here, righteousness. He talked about righteousness on two, this immoral couple who didn't care anything about God. All they did is either listen for amusement or hope to get a bribe or some conviction. But he preached about righteousness. How do you think our culture and our society today is doing with that department? Do you hear anyone in San Francisco wanting to hear about righteousness? Not much. Not much. How are you doing in your own life in the righteousness department? Are you striving for righteousness, as we're told? He talked to them next about self-control. How's San Francisco doing when it comes to self-control? I always say, San Francisco, why people like it, it will accept anybody and anything except standards, but only standards. No self-control 
are you doing with self-control? Are you doing the things you know you should do and not doing the things you shouldn't do? It's self-control. And his third topic, he said he discoursed on the judgment which is to come. I don't think San Francisco is worried at all about hearing about the judgment is to come. Are you? I am. I think it's something he says, remember this every day, the judgment which is to come. He did his best. But Paul is on trial and he's questioning the judges. Eventually, Felix says, that's enough. And it says he was afraid. The old English said he was terrified. Go away and he said, when it's convenient, I will talk to you. Convenient. I will tell you, if there's things in your life you know you need to deal with, particularly a commitment to Christ, it will never be convenient. You can't put it off till it's convenient. After two years, Felix, uh, Paul is passed on to Festus and into Agrippa, who was the father of Drusilla. <coughs> and he listens as Paul told his whole story of his conversion. And at the end of that, Agrippa says, <coughs> do you think in such a short time you will convince me to become a Christian? You remember <coughs> Paul's answer, short time or long time. It does not matter. I pray to God only that not only you, but all who hear me will, will be as I am, except in these chains. There's not some time later that's going to be right. When I was a child, we went to these little holy roller meetings down south where I lived, and uh, you got a good helping of fire and brimstone in every service. <coughs> as one preacher said, my aim is to either scare you out of hell or into heaven, either way. My <coughs> parents named me, my middle name, Otis, from a preacher who had a coffin on stage and propped it up on a sawhorse, and he would lay in there and preach his sermon so you could see what was coming, you know, and, and there was a certain effectiveness to those things that got your attention. Now, they were a little weak on telling you about the love of God, you can't do it all in one week. I'll do that for you another week. But, but the judgment is to come. It is to come. And he says, make sure you take care of the judgment to come. <coughs> when our daughter Jill was about five years old, I remember one time she realized uh, that people get old and they die. And she said, are you and mom going to die before I do it? I said, oh, yes, a long time before you do, probably. What will happen to all your stuff? <laughs> well, if you're a good girl and you're responsible, it'll probably go to you. Would I get that chair? Yes, I'll get that chair. That picture on the wall? Yes. Will I get the whole house? Well, if you're a responsible adult, I guess so. And I could see her mind working, and she didn't want to say the wrong thing, but finally she said, about how long do you think you're going to live? <laughs> now, 
look at your life over the last five years, and I ask you this. About how long do you think you're going to live? Is that the progress you want to make? Have you made that commitment to Jesus Christ? Do not procrastinate on your commitment to Jesus Christ. Second, do not procrastinate on your spiritual growth. It is very easy to come at a place where Bethel is now and say, you know what, we got to get the right man. Once we get the right man, then we're going to do this, 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 and this. You know, and if you do get the right man, you know, he's going to say, I want the right congregation. Oh, well, this is what you got. <coughs> you know, we all got to work with what we have to work with. You don't know who you're going to get. That's why I stayed around here so long. You had no choice. You didn't know what you were going to get. Last Sunday, I didn't know I was speaking today, and Tim Raymer, I guess the elder who's in charge of filling the pulpit right now or senior school, said, I've asked two people for next week, so we're probably okay. But if we can't get in, and if we're desperate, could you fill in? struck speechless by that complimentary thunderbolt, but <laughs> so I'm afraid to come around now because you'll say, oh wow, are we desperate again? I guess so, <laughs> that's where we are. But Jesus Christ himself was not able at times during his life to move his own, own disciples in progress the way he wanted to, in spiritual growth, and at times they missed it. Now I want to read you a longer passage of scripture. Read it along with me. Matthew 26, night before Jesus was to die, <coughs> be arrested and crucified the next day. <coughs> Matthew 26, beginning with verse 36 and going through 46, it says this. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, this would be James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and eating? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, I understand their situation, and I, I think I would probably do the same thing. Thank you so much.
going to try. You're going to watch the whole time to see if that's going to fall, but <coughs> it's okay. <coughs> but the disciples had this. If, if Jesus said to you, look, could you just make progress with me in this area? I need you one hour to commune with me, hold with me, support me. And maybe he says that through some other person in your life. Could you do that for that one hour? Well, they were tired. They were weak. And I understand exactly what they were going through. But in their weakness, they didn't stay that way. These three men became the great leaders of the church. St. Peter, only a few weeks later, would preach the great Pentecost sermon. And 3,000 would come to the Lord. James would become St. James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, the main church in Christendom for over 200 years. John would be the only one who lived to an old age where Peter and James were martyred. John lived in exile and wrote five books of our Bible. Now, all three of these men were leaders of the early church. All three of them wrote a book or more books. John wrote, John wrote five. Peter wrote two. James wrote one. All of them about our Lord and his life and the impact. Not one of them recorded this incident. And I understand that. I wouldn't have either probably. But that was a moment when they didn't grow in progress and be with the Lord to the extent they should. They were weak, but they did not remain weak. And my point is this. At this time in the life of the church, do not remain here saying, someday somebody's going to come and do something for us. You're going to uh, find that the Lord meets you in these times as well as any other times. You cannot be led as the Israelites were into the green pastures unless you first go through the desert. You cannot go with Moses on the mountaintops unless you go through the valley to get there. I would say, how does your faith compare <coughs> to five years ago? Are you making progress or are you postponing progress? Let me give you a few checks on it. Are you faithful in your church attendance? Now, let me be blunt because I'm won't be here next week unless you get desperate. <coughs> but you will be faithful in church attendance. Jesus, it says, he went into the temple on the Sabbath as was his habit. Okay, I'm going to give it to you this way. If you don't go to church regularly, you are not following Jesus. I don't care what you say. You're not following Jesus if you don't in church, attend church regularly. Most Sundays you'll be in church somewhere. That's what he did. And that's one way we can check. Another one is Jesus said, follow and learn of me. Are you learning of him? What disciplines do you have in your life telling you to learn of him? Now Ed was talking about a meeting here with his chances to learn the kingdom of God. There's more chances to learn than we know what to do with all kinds of resources. Most people in history could not read and did not have a Bible. 
you can read and you have a Bible. Are you learning of him or are you postponing that? At least pray the Lord's Prayer and you will be praying, lead me not into temptation. You know the struggles you're having. Do you pray for God's help to lead you away from temptation? Do you pray for him to deliver us from evil? Do you encourage that so you get the abilities that come only through the leading of the Holy Spirit so that you grow and make progress? More than once I've encouraged the elders here to pray for wisdom. And I don't mean, oh yeah, I think I did that three months ago. I probably ran that through. You pray every day at least. It's one of the few promises in the word where you're told you will get that answer if you pray and don't believe. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all of us liberally and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith and not doubting. Well, it's a condition. You have to ask and believe. Are you doing that? If not, how do you expect to be led by the Holy Spirit? Pray for the leaders of our church. Pray for the leaders of our government. Don't wait for someday for your spiritual progress to come. It needs to be made, as I said, in the wilderness and in the valley. And that's how you get to the green pastures and the mountain tops. Anyone who follows Christ is expected to grow. Listen what Paul writes in Hebrews, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse about our salvation. St. Paul says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding in every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how should we escape if we ignore such great salvation? Now look at the words he uses as the danger. You could say, well, I haven't done anything. That's the problem. I haven't made a decision yet, but yes, you have. He uses these words. How are we going to escape if we do things like drift away? You know what that means. We let go of the spiritual disciplines in our life. We're going to get to it tomorrow. I I'll do it then. Drift away. Or how should we escape if we ignore? What do you have to ignore? Nothing. No, I didn't do anything. And there's this temptation of Satan himself to try to say, you didn't do anything bad. Maybe you didn't do anything good. We're called to do that. Don't drift away. Don't procrastinate on your spiritual growth. Third, I would say this. Don't procrastinate on your service to others. <coughs> the church and those around you all need helpers. We all need that. And you know how you get encouraged sometimes if you look around the congregation and you see more people. Uh, oh, so-and-so is over there. Oh, that's nice. You understand they think the same thing when they see you. You can walk in and sit down and encourage somebody by that. But work is part of salvation. It's a necessary step of salvation. Oh, no, I'm saved by faith alone. No, you're not. You're saved by grace alone. You're not saved by faith alone. Grace is God's salvation gift to you. And he throws this life preserver down to you. You can't avoid that. He's going to do that. 
but you better reach out and take it. You know what happens if you say, I have faith alone? What did St. James say? Faith without works? Dead. What did he tell you? Jesus said, he who believes and does the work of my Father shall be saved. Be faithful in the church. Be faithful in your tithes and offerings. I have no idea how the church is doing financially. I don't ask. That's not my business. But it is interesting that two of the gospel writers record that Jesus sat down where they used to bring offerings up and put it in a pot, and he sat down to watch, and it says he watched to see how much people gave. I thought that was rude thing to do. You're not supposed to do that. But I thought, you know, it would be kind of interesting to walk up and down the aisle after these ushers. Oh, no, you folded that over to look thick. That's a one. That's not a ten. You know, I know what you're doing. You know, how much did you put in there? How much is that? How much do you have left? That's what Jesus was saying. How much do you have left? Be faithful in your tithes and offerings. Be faithful in your service here. And I know many have stepped up. Ruth is in charge of a segment of the Sunday school. And about two months ago, she had to call a lot. So I took a lot of calls to try to fill in. And she was so happy because this one and this one, this one, this one said, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And they stepped up to fill in these needed areas. You can do that. Talk to some of the leaders of the church and they will tell you areas where you might work, but things like the food pantry the second time around or ushering, all of those are works by which we help one another. Get to know your neighbors or your coworkers well enough you can talk to them about your faith. I've never understood people can talk to their co-workers about the Giants or the 49ers, but not about Jesus. I don't understand. Isn't that what you talk about? If you have to consider starting or helping some area in the church that doesn't even exist. <coughs> Several years ago, I asked a lady, would you help in this area, this one of the Sunday school classes? And she said, you know, I don't think that's my thing. I said, okay. Would you try for six weeks and see? So she did. And at the end of six weeks, she said, I was right. That's not my thing. But I saw these people who needed some help. Can I start meeting with them? And out of that came a ministry that lasted for several years to help someone was on the fringes and this person took it as their role. Consider those things. Do not assume you can do things later. When you're young, you start saying, you know, okay, well, I want to get married or not get married, whatever you decide there. And, and then we get, oh, but then you got these kids. You know, I got to raise the kids and then I'm going to, well, I got to get them through school. That's the big thing. Get them out. Okay. All right, and then you find, oh, they're back again. Well, when I get them out again a second time, <coughs> when I pay off my debts, when I get my house under control, then I'm going to do these things. Listen to James 4, 
13 to 17. James is pretty blunt. Now listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good thing he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. What do you do now if you sin? If you know you should do right, you don't. It's called sin. You repent of it, confess it, and repent of it, and move forward. But you don't let it go. You can't just leave it that way. Salvation is more than a verbal commitment. It includes your whole life. We were saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And there's not any area of your life that Jesus does not want to control. So we make a commitment of faith, and then hopefully we move forward from that commitment of faith. We don't try to stay there. And we then try to move with spiritual growth. Don't postpone your spiritual growth. And don't procrastinate on your service to others. We want to move to what St. Peter calls the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. If you've been here a long time, you've heard me say more than once, if you knew you were going to die in two weeks, would you have to make any phone calls? If so, you do it today or you procrastinate, but you need to do it. And I've seen people wait till that last point and make an, a very pathetic attempt to deal with what should have been dealt with before. Wherever we are in our life, there are further steps to make, and we want to continue to make progress. So for all of it, our commitment to him, our commitment to growth, our commitment to service, since all of that's part of our salvation, we understand what St. Paul says when he says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If things get desperate, I'll see you again later. to go get the band. Hold on. Thank you, Pastor Norm, for that message. We're going to close out this service with a song. Very, very